Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Good morning. We commemorated this week the feast of our patron, the patron saint we have for this parish, which is St. Alban, the proto-martyr of Great Britain. And I wanted not so much to talk about him particularly, but to talk about this whole question of saints, intercession, and our relationship with them. Alban, to our knowledge, was the first person martyred for being a Christian. Uh, in Britain, if there was anybody before him, he forgot to write his name down, so he didn't get on the list. So Alban is listed there. Alban gave up his own life for another Christian who was supposed to be killed. And many of the saints, be they martyrs or otherwise, ultimately gave up their lives so completely to God that the church recognizes that they are honored as being special and distinct. The word holy in Greek means agios. And the word agios literally means to be set apart, to be different than that which is around you, to those that are around you. So to refer to the holy saints is a bit of a tautology because that's what holy means. They are different, they are separate, they are you, and we recognize them. In effect, as heroes of our faith, as we recognize in, in, in American history certain people who are heroes of our, of our country. Now in the New Testament, it is taken for granted that every Christian is separate and distinct and set apart from the other or around them. I think it's safe to say it is no longer taken for granted. By our very baptism into Christ, we are taken from the world. Remember the baptisms we've done here? What is the first thing we do at the beginning of a baptism? That long series of prayers that we say before we get to anything, before we anoint the child, before we baptize the child, before we confirm, what was it? Exorcism. The exorcisms. The exorcism prayers. We command the devil to stay away from the person being baptized. We are claiming him. Christ is claiming him. And we tell the devil, you don't get it. You can't have it. We are setting the protection of God upon this person. Because you see, the devil and his demons have no power over us unless, unless we give it to them. Unless we give it to them. <coughs> now a rational person, assuming there are still those upon the earth, I'm beginning to wonder. A rational person says, who would do that? All of us do. Some do it deliberately. I mean, some people go out and seek to be in league with evil, to be in league with Satan, 
My son did that before he committed suicide. He was in all kinds of things, you know, with the occult, and, 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 and you know, he found notebooks filled with stories and what have you. You know, he was in such a confused state of mind that he actually went out, and for a while at least, we don't know how long, was communicating with the demons that I eventually had to exercise from my own home. But he was not of right mind at the time. He'd been suffering from depression for years, from anxiety. And the church recognizes this. You know, it is said that suicides are not buried out of the church, but that depends on the circumstances. And there are canons that go back hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years that say if the person were not in their right mind, if the person were under demonic influence, then they may be buried out of the church. This is not held against them. This goes back you know, prior to the schism between East and West, everything. Because they weren't stupid. And they had a greater sense of the powers of evil than we do. But the number of those who actually go out and seek it is relatively small. The others, in other words, the rest of us, allow the demonic into our lives in all kinds of, of ways. In the epistle reading this morning, it said, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You're roaring as if you were hungry. Satan and the demons are constantly probing. They're constantly trying to make part with those parts of us that are easy to get to. And everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. For one person, it might be internet porn. For another person, it might be alcohol. For another person, it might be an addiction to gossip or to making judgments about other people that we really don't know the full story about or to make superficial judgments or to condemn or to be angry. Any number of things in our lives which in and of themselves don't seem that big a deal and in and of themselves probably are not that big a deal in most cases unless you've got a real problem with it but it's a chink in our armor the ex-spouse that you cannot forgive the boyfriend you cannot get over the boss that you really really don't like or your next door neighbor who keeps playing that annoying music. You know, who can stand having to listen to Mozart's Requiem Mass at two o'clock in the morning for crying out loud? It keeps you up, it really gets to you. Anything like that, that makes you be, what? Not vigilant. Why does St. Peter say, be sober, be vigilant? When he's saying sober, he's not necessarily talking about the alternative to drunkenness. He's talking about being, he is talking about that, but he's talking about being seriously minded. 
And we tend to take things so lightly, so lightly. We skim over the top of things. We let things go by. We, you know, we chill. We don't worry about things too much. Well, I'm not trying to instill a sense of anxiety with you. That's not my point at all. But I am trying to instill a sense of sober-minded seriousness in everybody. We look at our country as it is now, in which people are living driven one way or the other, depending upon some meme on Facebook, some news report, some internet thing that comes to them without knowing what the story is or what have you, based basically upon our passions, our biases, and our emotions. There's not a serious reflectiveness in our society today. I don't care what side you're on. We see something and we go with it. It's like somebody blows in our ear and we've got to follow it. And rather than reflecting and thinking, well, maybe I ought to check this out, we just go with whatever our particular flow is. Donald Trump did not divide this nation. Hillary Clinton did not divide this nation. If you want to see who divided this nation, go home and look in a mirror. Because it's our ability, our inability to control our emotions our inability to control our passions, what the church refers to as the passions, and the passions are any sin that becomes habitual, whether it's judgment or a lack of clear thinking, clarity, cognitive, or whatever. Our inability to see beyond our own biases, that has divided us and turned us into a society of squabbling five-year-olds. It's like a bunch of kids in a sandbox who are constantly going after each other. For what reason? They don't even know. Except they read, or they heard, or they saw something that they didn't understand. In our own lives, the way in which we interact with each other. You know, the epistle began, be submissive to one another. Be humble to one another. We, we, we get this idea that humility, being humble, is somehow a sign of weakness. And it is no such thing. Humility seen merely means not putting yourself in the center of absolutely every situation you come in contact with. Or placing yourself on a superior level to each person you encounter, whether you verbally say it or not. Because if you think it, you may as well say it. You've already done it. Be submissive one to another. Be humble before each other. In Romans, St. Paul says, treat each other with a profound respect, a profound regard. And often externally we do. And often at exactly the same time we're doing that externally, internally we're finishing the sentences with words and thoughts about other people. So why am I going on about this when I said I was going to start talking about the saints? Because there is a countervailing group 
We're not standing up to temptation by ourselves. We're not standing up against evil. We're not fighting off the demons by our lonesome, or even just with us. Even if there is less justification for looking at ourselves and saying, yes, because I'm baptized, I am a saint, in the sense of being different from those and that which is around us. There are still those whom we do. Numberless saints, known and unknown. There are holy people who have probably been, never been officially recognized by the church. Some little old lady in Belarus in the 17th century whose intercessions healed people but who somebody forgot to remember is now in heaven still by intercession healing. Alban, the martyr, is in heaven interceding for this parish because we regard him as our patron. And I hope are asking for him to intercede for our community. After World War II, St. John Maximovich, we call him St. John of San Francisco in Shanghai because he was in both places. At that time he wound up in Paris. There was a Western Rite Church in France at that time, and still is. And they had begun by the church in Moscow, but because of World War II, because of the very quick onset of the Cold War, I mean, Stalin didn't want his, his church, the one that he basically ran, uh, being involved with any churches outside of the Soviet Union. He even made them, he required the Moscow Patriarchate to give up authority over the Orthodox Church of Japan, which had been founded in the 19th century by St. Nicholas of Japan, a Russian who had come and evangelized. And he made them, which was good for them, made them independent because he didn't want the church in Russia connected with any church outside of Russia. So you have this Western right group of Frenchmen and in some other parts of Europe, which had barely survived the war no longer had any authority over them whatsoever. And here's St. John, who was with Rokor, the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia, which at that time was not in communion with anybody. Everybody's happy now. We all, you know, we sing hands, we sing, hold hands, sing kumbaya, we do all that stuff. But I mean, at that time, they were a very separate group. But St. John, who was this short word looking wimpy dude, who became a mighty saint, was a lot further visioned, a lot more broad visioned than a lot of his brothers. And he once said to a group of people, never let anyone tell you that in order to be Orthodox Christians, you must be Eastern. Because the Orthodox Church was in the West for thousands of years. So this group went and talked to him. He knew nothing about them. To my knowledge, he didn't even speak French. And he said, well, let me look into this. Let me look into the background. And he said, for now, I'll be your bishop. I mean, it's not really an official thing. Nobody thinks, nobody's recognizing this, but you, you, you got to have a bishop. You can't just be, because he didn't have one. And then, of course, it dawned on St. John 
you know, this territory was at one time Orthodox. France was at one time an Orthodox country up until the 11th century. There must be lots of saints in France who were Orthodox saints that people like me have completely forgotten about. Don't even know their names. And so he got lists of names. And he began to go from site to site to site in France and pray at shrines that nobody probably had bothered about and most of which had crumbled to the dust centuries before. But more than that, they began to put them on the Orthodox calendar, on Eastern Orthodox calendars. I mean, you will still today sometimes get an Orthodox Christian or two who will look at you rather strangely if you talk to them about St. Patrick of Ireland. It's got to be one of the best-known people in history. But who say, well, he's a Roman Catholic. No, it wasn't. There was no Roman Catholic Church back then. There was no Orthodox. There was just one church. And he as much as Orthodox as we are, although he was in the Western Rite. You know, we become focused on our own group, our own little thing. So if you buy a Greek calendar, you know, you'll get uh, a lot of Greek saints. If you buy a Slavic calendar, you get a lot of Slavic saints. We have a Western Rite calendar, you get you know, mostly Western saints. We have a difficulty with the breadth of vision that is necessary to be able to see and perhaps someday restore one church. And all of these, I mean, many of them may have been quite surprised. What, somebody's talking to me? God, I haven't heard anybody in 500 years. You know, when they start saying, St. Germanus of Auxerre, pray for us. St. Madeline of Paris, St. Jean Vieve of Paris, pray for us. Because this is what the saints do. In the book of Revelation, I think it's the fourth or fifth chapter, don't hold me to it, but I'm, it's one of those two. It talks about this vision that John the Divine had of heaven. And he said the angels stand there with censers, sensing, just like we do in church, which are the prayers of the saints going up before God. Well, those prayers of the intercession from the saints are the prayers we ask them to make. We're not all on our own. We've got one heck of an army on our side to face that which is opposed to God. And when you say, St. Alban, pray for me, he prostrates and does so. When you say, St. Patrick, pray for me, he prostrates and does so. When you say St. John Vieve of Paris, pray for me, she does. Anytime you ask the Blessed Mother, or if you ask the saints, they pray for you. We do not pray to saints. You'll often hear people say that, and it's the wrong way to phrase it. Because that gives people the idea that we're worshiping them. I mean, you, you don't pray to somebody you don't worship. And we worship God alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. But the saints were people just like us, who are simply now in paradise, closer to the throne of grace. 
and they have been recognized, or in some cases not recognized, but set apart. And they're in the intercession business, as we are supposed to be. Again, it's no different. If I am ill, and I call Stephen or email Stephen and say, pray for me, he will do so. If you were ill, you could call me and say, Father, pray for me. I will do so. We pray for the dead, not because we think we're going to get God to change his mind. We can't do that. God's mind has been set from before the creation of the world. God knows the ultimate end of each and every person who has not even yet been born. But we pray because we love. We pray out of love. We pray for people who are alive because we love them and want the best for them. We pray for people who are dead, which we can't know the final end of. That's way beyond our pay grade. Because we love them and want the best for them. God will sort it all out. That's not our problem. But we can definitely pray. My grandfather was a militant atheist. He thought it was extremely funny that I wanted to be a priest. I thought that was hysterically funny. Yeah. He used to say things like, Hail Mary, full of grace, why don't you wash your dirty face? Which he thought would make me very upset. It didn't particularly. Uh, found out later, at his funeral, at the funeral, I was in there with my mother. This was up in New Jersey, and we did a wake two nights running back in those days. I don't know if they still got it or not, but the tradition was a wake two nights running at the funeral. And I had flown in from California, so I got there for the second night of the wake. And by this time, the rest of the family is punchy, having been there once already. And you, know, you got people coming up saying stuff to you, you know, and my mom and I are making jokes back and forth. And this little old nun is helped into the back of the chapel and comes up to the casket and kneels, makes her cross, says a prayer, makes her cross, and is helped out. And I turn to my mother and said, who in the heck is that? She said, that's your aunt. I said, is she Anglican? Because we had nuns in the Episcopal Church. That's what I was down at. No, she's a Roman Catholic. Okay, my grandpa's sister is a Roman Catholic nun. Oh yeah, his uncle was the Bishop of Brooklyn back in the 19th century. <laughs> you know, I have no idea what happened. I have not a clue. But he had rejected all of that. Wanted nothing to do with it whatsoever. I pray for him at every Mass because I figure I'm the only hope God's got. And that may not mean much. I mean, God may have decided, you know, makes his decisions based on all kinds of things and, and, and you know, things go on a person's entire lives. But I still pray. I could say, well, he didn't believe in God. He has no hope. I won't do that. Because I love him. And because I love him, I pray for him. So we can ask the saints, because they pray out of love, we love them, we love us. Do you seriously believe, thinking just in terms of your own relations and assuming you actually believe there's an afterlife, otherwise I don't know why we're here, do you seriously believe that if your grandmother 
loved you enough to pray for you all the time she was alive, she stopped loving you when she died, and therefore stopped praying for you? Of course not. She prays for you now, in heaven, as she prayed for you when she was on earth, in paradise, while she was on earth. This is all this is about. This is a reciprocal relationship of love. But for those whom we really recognize as being the heroes of the faith, we should be talking to them. We have Albin, whom we ask to be the protector and patron of this congregation. Each of you have a patron saint. In my case, one whoop-ass Archangel Michael, okay, big guy, leader of the heavenly hosts, protector of Israel, all of that. Uh, but, you know, whether it's John or, 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 or Claudine, who, whoever, whoever saint you're named after, Moses, Elizabeth, Elisaveta, that's somebody you should be talking to on a daily basis. You really should. You should be asking their prayers for what you face each and every day. In my case, there's a wonderful prayer. Uh, Holy Archangel Michael, protect us uh, in the day of battle, uh, in the time of danger, and at the hour of our death. But you can do the same thing with your own patron, whether it's James or whoever. Oh, Holy James, pray for me. Holy James, intercede with Christ our God for this problem or for that problem. You just don't throw it up in the air. I mean, if you have a situation that needs dealing with, then ask for the saints' intercession. Ask other saints that you may know and you may, may, may have a, a devotion to. Otherwise, all we're doing is engaging in some kind of head game. You know, we've got this whole thing scoped out theologically. You know, you have God, three persons, one God, all that, angels, archangels, heavenly powers, saints, yeah, they're, they're all up there, and we've got pictures all over to remind us of them. But it's not real for us. It's not real. And until we begin to speak, it will remain unreal. Holy Theotokos, Holy Albin, Holy Archangel Michael, all the saints of heaven, intercede for us with Christ our God. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.